courts don't like to be bold. Like yeah. American courts, there's this whole idea of judicial restraint. Courts don't overstep their bounds. You don't legislate from the bench. You've probably heard all these things in the political discourse. Courts don't like bold moves. That's why it's so significant that the Western District of Washington issued a nationwide stay of the Muslim ban because it is a bold move. And you typically don't see those out of courts unless they feel like something is really manifestly unconstitutional and it is causing immediate and irreparable harm. to Harry and the Kipper, a podcast covering current events. We're both attorneys, so we're going to cover some of the relevant legal issues that are affecting our politics, which I think will be particularly useful during this administration's reign. And we're affiliated with my organization called The Resurgent Left, an organization dedicated to flipping state legislatures blue and ending gerrymandering. So check us out at theresurgentleft.org. But I say affiliated because this podcast reflects our personal views, not any positions of the organization. Politics moves so quickly nowadays that it's difficult to even write a podcast and be up to date by the time we publish. So please forgive us if there's some updates by the time you hear this. And with that said, let's jump into today's topic. We're talking about the Muslim ban. You want to go in on this? Yeah, you want me to try it? Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday we saw a uh, an order come down from the Western District of Washington that temporarily stays uh, the application of the ban, and it applies nationwide. The first order of its kind that you know explicitly applies, you know, by its terms nationwide. And the Department of Homeland Security has indicated that they intend to follow that court order. And so, as far as we can tell, the ban has been lifted for the time being due to this court order. The court didn't decide the ban is for certain unconstitutional. The court said, you're right, it might be unconstitutional. We will provide you temporary relief from it. So there's a difference here. A temporary restraining order just means the court said, okay, you might be right that it's unconstitutional, so we're going to temporarily stop the ban until we can figure out whether it's unconstitutional or not through the court system. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to, to grant a, a temporary restraining order, there's a lot of requirements that are there in, the, in kind of the rules because, you know, as Kip said, the court has not made a final determination about whether this is unconstitutional. But, but what they did determine is that it is more likely than not going to be proven to be unconstitutional and the plaintiffs are suffering immediate and irreparable harm. So something needs to be done now on a temporary basis, even though we have not fully heard and fleshed out the arguments about whether this is constitutional or not. Exactly. You need something for that, right? Because otherwise, the federal government could always do unconstitutional things. and Just wait you out. Yeah, wait you out. Like, oh, yeah, two years later, they might say it's unconstitutional, but I already interned everybody, right? (laughs) Everybody's all rounded up already. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So luckily, these exist where a court can immediately step in. Yeah. So, Harry, why do you why do you think it's a Muslim ban? Why isn't it just a it's just a ban on some countries, right? That's well, how they're framing it. it. The funny thing is, is like, like I don't think anywhere in the order it says Muslim ban. Yeah. But they just did that so that they have an argument that it's not unconstitutional because you yeah. can't just discriminate on the basis of religion like that. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at all of the statements in the campaign, if you look at what Rudy Giuliani said, if you don't bury your head in the sand, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's obvious what this is intended to do, which is ban Muslims from the United States. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious listening to people dance around it. Trump actually called it at one point. I mean, he called for the banning of Muslims from entering the United States during the campaign. 
Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. First week in office, there's a there's an immigration ban, but this isn't a Muslim ban, no, despite no, no. everything he was saying leading up to the campaign. Yeah. I mean, you really have got to be willfully blind to yeah. not understand what this is. Yeah, and this is where I become a little bit cynical about law, is ultimately all of this is just a workaround to find a way to ban a religion. Yeah, yeah, and and everything we've seen supports that inference. Right. And the only reason they're not calling it a Muslim ban, the only reason the executive order doesn't just say we're banning all Muslims, yeah. is because of the nuances of constitutional law and because the Trump administration wants these executive orders to survive review by the courts. Right. But unfortunately for them, courts look at all the facts and circumstances, and it's clear, at least it seems like it was clear to the Western District of Washington, that this is discrimination on the basis of religion. Yeah, and it's good that it's in the Western District of Washington because it's going to rise to the Ninth Circuit. But but this is why I say all everything is politics, is I think a court in a different state may have a very different view of the facts and circumstances and decide, no, you know what? This is about national origin. There's 40 other Muslim-majority countries around the world that weren't banned. If this was just about Islam, why weren't they all banned? Why is it just these seven? These are the dangerous seven, right? Yeah, totally. So geography matters when it comes to these cases. If it were in a different circuit, it might rise quickly to the appeals court. Those judges will get together quickly and get rid of this stay as quickly as they can to help the Trump administration. It, it matters. It's good that it's protected under the umbrella of the Ninth Circuit. and uh, More likely to be upheld, I would say, more in the likely. Ninth Circuit, right? Right, exactly. Um, ultimately, this is going to go to the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah. The Trump administration, if they lose at the Ninth Circuit, you know, the next day they're appealing it to the Supreme Court. And as you know, there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Right. So um, yep. if, they, if they split 4-4, the Supreme Court has nine members, but there's one vacancy. So if it's an even split 4-4, the decisions of the lower courts stand. Right. Uh, so the Ninth Circuit decision to protect the stay, if that does happen, would stand. Yeah. So there's two moments that are important. The first is, is the ban constitutional or not? And then the second is... What does the federal court want to do about it? Does the federal court want to have a nationwide halt on the ban, which is a bold move, frankly, by the, the court in Washington? Or does the court want to say, yeah, we think it might be unconstitutional, but we also want to, for now, just limit our decision to whoever is suing right now, the government, in this courtroom right now, or just the airport near us, or that's all up to the court as well. Just courts don't like to be bold. Like, yeah. American courts, there's this whole idea of judicial restraint. Courts don't overstep their bounds. You don't legislate from the bench. You've probably heard all these things in the political discourse. Courts don't like bold moves. That's why it's so significant that the Western District of Washington issued a nationwide stay of the Muslim ban, because it is a bold move. And you typically don't see those out of, out of courts unless they feel like something is really manifestly unconstitutional. And it is causing immediate and irreparable harm. I, I'm a big believer that everything is political. I don't know if you agree with me on everything, but more or less everything is political. And this is where, as a judge, I have to decide. I have to make a call. Like, let's let's flesh out the arguments, the constitutional. Constitutional, yeah. okay. You cannot discriminate on the basis of religion, but you can discriminate on the basis of national origin when it comes to immigration. In the narrow circumstance where the federal government is exercising its authority to regulate immigration. You know, a lot of folks have, um, have been asking, 
well, you know, this is uh, this ban applies to people overseas. It applies to people who are not U.S. citizens. How could this be unconstitutional? Doesn't the Constitution only apply to U.S. citizens? And the answer is no. The Constitution applies, at least in this case, to persons within the jurisdiction of the United States. And when a person is coming in from overseas and they're interacting with customs, and customs is making a determination about whether they should be admitted or not, you could take the position that that is a person within the jurisdiction of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so persons within the jurisdiction of the United States get many, I think, if not most, of the constitutional protections. And specifically, the protections that I think are most relevant with respect to the Muslim ban. Right. And what are those? Yeah. Are the First Amendment, the freedom uh, you know, of religion, the right. Establishment Clause, and I would say the Fifth Amendment, mm -hmm. which is the Due Process Clause. Right. And maybe we'll start with the Due Process Clause. Sure. Yeah. Why, why is the Due Process Clause relevant here? Yeah. So the Fifth Amendment, which is part of the uh, original Bill of Rights back in the 1700s, it was one of the first 10 amendments added to the Constitution. You might have heard the Fifth Amendment in popular media as the, uh, you know, I plead the Fifth. Like, uh, I take the Fifth, which means you don't testify against yourself. And that's definitely part of the Fifth Amendment. But the Fifth Amendment also has what's called the Federal Due Process Clause, which says that you could not deny a person life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Meaning they get to have their day in court, like notice and an opportunity to be heard in court before they're deprived of things. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so there's a due process. Let's go back to freedom of religion. We talked some about that. I mean, the First Amendment, again, you may have heard in, in popular media, you, you might know. First Amendment has a lot to it. Freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom of religion, which is, is the most relevant part of the First Amendment here. And freedom of religion has two parts. There's the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. And the Establishment Clause basically says the government can't make any law respecting an establishment of religion, which, which has been interpreted to mean you can't favor one religion over another. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a, a, you know, yeah. centuries of law here, but, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but basically means you can't favor one religion over another. Yeah. Uh, and the Free Exercise Clause is you can't limit a person's free exercise of that religion. And you'll see sometimes those are intention, right? Yeah, right. When people say, how is this unconstitutional, this, this Muslim ban? You say, well, you know, whatever the law says, the president can, you know, you know, there's that 1957 law everybody keeps citing that, oh, the president can just shut down immigration from certain countries. And that's true. But so long as it doesn't run afoul of the amendments in the Constitution. Right. And we should cover. So on the other side, the president has national security powers, war powers, and there's a lot of deference given to the president when it comes to foreign affairs or national security issues. So as long as the Department of Justice continues to frame this as a concern about the well-being of American citizens, there's a fair amount of deference given to the president when it comes to that, which is what's going to be the counterbalance to the arguments of freedom of religion and due process. So the president will just be pushing, this isn't any preference to any given religion, it's a concern about these these countries, these national origins, and whether they intend to inflict harm upon the United States. So that's the tension that's going on in these cases. Yep. And that's the debate being had. Yep. I think at the end of the day, when this gets to the Supreme Court, this is really going to come down to our argument over whether this is a lawful exercise of the president's authority in matters of foreign policy and national security, or is this an unconstitutional discrimination on the basis of religion? Is this an unconstitutional deprivation of due process rights of individuals? And that's the argument that's going to be fleshed out. Yeah. And, and ultimately, the court will decide which interests are more 
at stake. And this is where values and ultimately people's politics come into play that I always mm -hmm. talk about. Like when you have to make that decision, what it honestly comes down to is just it comes down to your values. It, it is three dimensional. So, for example, the new nominee, Gorsuch, maybe he doesn't care about how I'm not I don't know this, but maybe he doesn't care as much about how minorities are treated, but he is very concerned about the expansion of executive power. So he may make a decision ultimately that's decided, okay, there's competing values here. I am very concerned about the expansion of executive power. So even though I don't particularly care how minorities are treated, I'm still going to rule in their favor because I don't want to give the president this kind of plenary power to make this kind of decision. Maybe Congress should have a say in things like um, more of a say in immigration law. I mean, in, in name, we're arguing about what the Constitution says, right? But in reality, we're arguing about values. We are. Because the, the Constitution is just a platform on which people argue. They argue, well, no, the, the, the freedom of religion is more important for these reasons. The Constitution is structured in this way. Or, you know, if you look at the, the founder's intent, it's this or that. You argue about the Constitution, but it's really your values. It's politics driving everything at that level. I just want to end the episode on a thought which is, I've seen this argument circulating, and it's a powerful argument, but I just want to challenge it a little bit. The argument that there hasn't been a single attack from any of these seven countries, um, any of the seven countries that are banned. And I want to just pose a hypothetical question to challenge the assumption in that argument. What if there were an attack? Obviously, it's terrible to think about, but what if it had happened? Would that change the way we view this ban. And my opinion is that we need to not just weigh this ban in terms of national security, but also consider our own values and what our country is about. And I'm troubled by the assumption underlying that argument that because a single human hasn't attacked anyone in the United States, that that is sufficient reason because it feels like what people are saying is if there had been an attack from any individual human from any of these seven countries over the last 16 years, that then maybe the ban is more justified. And I'd like to challenge that idea here by saying, we're supposed to be the country with the Statue of Liberty telling people, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. That's what we're supposed to be about. and. I haven't heard our president say anything along those lines, but Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, echoed that sentiment in a way that I thought we were supposed to be doing. And he was on The Daily Show and he said, you know, sometimes in life there are risks and sometimes we have to be willing to take a little bit of a risk in order to uphold the values that we hold so dear, that make us who we are. And uh, I, I think we've lost that a little bit. They're just there are risks in life and we have values and sometimes we have to take on risks because there's greater things like what we're supposed to be we're supposed to be the place where people can go when they need us and maybe we do have to take on a little risk in order to uphold what we were supposed to be about all right, well, thank you guys for listening, and please check out our website at theresurgentleft.org and get involved today. And also, please follow us on Twitter because our Twitter game is super weak right now, and it's at resurgent underscore left. Special thank you to our producer, Vika Aronson, and remember to stay angry and stay inspired. Stay inspired.